Hey guys, welcome on to Psychology Hacks. Today we're going to be having another lesson on the big five personality traits. Technically, it's the big six now, since intelligence is usually included in this. But we're going to be covering the, the main five traits, which are extroversion, agreeableness, openness, conscientiousness, and neuroticism. The acronym to remember that by is OCEAN. And then the reason it's six now is because most people include um, your IQ in that because it's a very stable trait that tends to be very useful at predicting parts of your personality. But for reasons of time constraints, we're not going to cover IQ today. But looking at yourself and other people through the lens of these categories can be extremely useful. So I'm going to talk about how to use them to improve and understand yourself as well as, as a tool for predicting the behavior of other people. So try to figure out where you stand here, but also think about how the people you know can fit into these categories as you listen. When you tailor your strategy for interacting with them um, to their placements on the five traits, you will make things a lot easier on yourself. And also mirroring their placements can have a very endearing effect as well. So let's go ahead and get started. Um, start off with openness. Openness to new experience, uh, it can have a very... And on very far-reaching effects. It's how we learn new things. It's how quickly we adapt to changing situations. And it's how interesting and colorful our lives tend to be. So typically, the more creative types, they tend to have higher levels of openness. And this openness can show itself as an enhanced appreciation for art. It can be a willingness to try new things. And as um, it kind of manifests as a certain amount of eccentricity as well. But somebody with fairly low levels of openness they're going to seem rigid, boring, uptight, conventional, conventional, excuse me, and otherwise just kind of just kind of dull, you know, not really exciting, not really looking for new experiences. Um, and after all, I mean, if you're closed off to new experiences, how are you going to grow as a person? Now, on the other hand, of course, you could be too open. Um, being on the low side of the openness spectrum, it can make you rigid, dull, and unimaginative. But on the other hand, um, being on the other extreme side can be just as debilitating. And there's a certain evolutionary advantage to having at least portions of society that have a lower level of openness. Um, while we definitely need to have new experiences um, in order to grow and push ourselves forward, those new things may come with a fair amount of danger. New people bring new diseases, new environments hide new threats, and new ideas create these unpredictable situations that could potentially kill us. So people with an extremely high level of openness, um, they also have a hard time staying grounded often. And, you know, always trying something new and challenging their understanding of life does kind of prevent them from building a very stable foundation with, with which to live their lives off of. So, I mean, look at teenagers, great example, always pushing boundaries and experimenting with their personality. And while that does lead to growth, it also comes with a lot of uncertainty and a lot of anxiety and not knowing who you are, where you stand and what, um, where, where you're going in life or what your purpose is that very quickly can create an existential crisis. So in reality, you want a healthy balance between the two extremes. If you need to increase your levels of openness, you can start off by trying new foods, reading fiction, listening to new music, saying yes to opportunities, stuff like that. Um, you know, just beginning to look for and enjoy the novelty that you have in your life, daily experiences, and you know, big experiences that you have some interest in. You know, spend time pursuing your creative interests and just thinking abstractly. And doing this in and of itself can bring a lot of pleasure into your life um, and it can be its own reward. And then alternatively, uh, if you're too open and you, you, you wanna try to develop a routine, you wanna try to um, you, you keep trying new things, absolutely, but also get comfortable with some of your favorites, start building some kind of stability, some kind of foundation and constancy so that you can keep yourself grounded. Number two is conscientiousness, which as you will remember from my 
last episode on these, the big five, is a word that I have a very difficult time pronouncing. So, conscientiousness is basically how organized, how reliable, how self-disciplined and attentive you are. So, for example, somebody who's very happy-go-lucky and lets the dishes pile up in the sink and is chronically late, that person has, has a low level of conscientiousness. And this is something that is really good to score high in. It's a huge indicator of future success. And if you don't score high in it, then you really need to start working on yourself to genuinely improve that score. You, it's something that you need to focus on. If, you, if you're listening to this and you realize, hey, I'm not good at those things, you need to get better at them because it's the second biggest predictor of uh, future success besides IQ. So to do this, it's really important that um, to do one thing that we talk about a lot on this podcast, which is to establish good habits. The more we get into the habit of follow, following through on projects, on setting clear goals, on working without distraction, on paying attention to detail, on not procrastinating, and just basically keeping our lives organized, the better it gets. It's, it's the habit that's important. It's not doing it once or twice. It's, a, it's the routine because once we get comfortable with it, um, it allows us to automate our lives. So we don't have to think about it as much. We don't have to use willpower to do it anymore. The habit just kind of takes over for us. So it's best to pick one or two areas where you would like to be more conscientious and then just start there. Don't try to do everything all at once. And remember that you know these, these five areas of personality, they tend to be extremely stable over the course of your life. So if you are gonna create a lasting change, it's gonna take a lot of work. Like this is who you are. This is the person that you are. You're always subject to change. You're always able to recreate yourself. But if you don't consciously do that work, it's very unlikely that you're gonna change any of these. It, it, they tend to be very stable throughout the course of your life. So if you're doing this, you're, you're breaking bad habits that you've had probably since childhood you know, lessons that you learned as a kid. And they've had a lot of time to become very deeply embedded in you. So don't get frustrated if it's hard to change this at first because um, all you really need is patience and consistency and just hard work, obviously. So the advantage that you have now over uh, when you first learn these behaviors and when you've been doing them robotically for the last however many years, now you have the awareness and the intelligence to choose your habits with intention. You're doing them on purpose now. You have, you have that level of, you know, self-awareness. So start small, um, start by, you know, whatever it is for you, maybe, you, you know, responding to those emails, uh, cleaning your kitchen, putting your phone on silent while you're working your goals so that you're not distracted, whatever it is, you know, get started, start small and just kind of grow from there. And on the other hand, if you're trying to size somebody else up, look for that area of their life. I mean, if you're trying to get ahead of that person and you realize that they're not very conscientious, well, it's not going to be that difficult to kind of pull out ahead of them because you can just overload them with more tasks you know they're not going to get it done um, and then if they are, on the other hand are very conscientious then you, you have to tailor that strategy a little bit so moving on from that so the e in ocean is extroversion so since creativity and mental health are things that i try to stay on top of academically um, i will put it out there that i've heard i, I hear a lot of competing arguments on um, the subject of introversion and extroversion so I'm not going to get into all that. The most consistent thing that I've heard that actually makes sense, I don't remember where I heard it, I wish I could, um, but basically it's that being introverted means that you lose uh, energy from social interactions and being extroverted means that you gain energy from those same interactions, okay? Now everybody's going to fall somewhere between the two extremes um, and where exactly you are, it does fluctuate depending on your mood, it depends on the people that you're around, it depends on the setting. Uh, even time of day like that it, it does it does change um, but there is a certain amount of 
stability and consistency in there, you're going to typically be within a certain range. And that range isn't going to be huge. It's not going to be all over the place unless you have some kind of mood or personality disorder. Um, you know, but for this personality trait, there's definitely a value in pushing yourself to do what you're uncomfortable with. But at the same time, it, it honestly might be better just to understand where at you are on the spectrum and just kind of plan your life accordingly. If you're a super introverted person who hates interacting with other people and you feel drained after every conversation, you know, then maybe sales, teaching, or club promoting shouldn't be careers that you pursue. You know, anything that requires a high level of social interaction is going to leave you feeling drained. Um, it's going to keep you, that, that in and of itself puts you at a permanent disadvantage because you're always fighting that uphill battle. You know, so you want to choose your battles wisely. You also shouldn't allow other people to pressure you into creating a social life that you're not comfortable with. If you're an introvert, you know, you shouldn't feel obligated to other people to spend time with them when you don't want to. And I'm speaking from experience here. Um, on the other hand, if you're introverted, you definitely do need to work on building your social skills as much as you can. Um, like I said, I mean, pick something that's going to make the most sense for you. But being able to work with people is a very important skill. It's, it's something that you... You, you need to have you, you can sometimes get away with not working with people but at some point you're gonna have to interact with the other humans so you, you need to learn how to do it efficiently you know don't train don't drain yourself trying to be somebody that you're not but on the other hand um, you've, you've got to you have to build some foundation of social skills because that's gonna get you further than anything else you can be crazy smart but if you don't know how to deal with people you're kind of screwed so on the other hand um, extroverts you know, they need to learn to appreciate solitude. They need to learn to spend time alone working on themselves. Uh, and again, just understand where you fall on this scale. Accept it. Learn the lessons that the other side of things has to offer. And also pay attention to other people that are in your environment. Um, try to figure out where they fall on this so that you can kind of figure out how to interact with them more efficiently. So the A is agreeableness. Now, agreeableness is a trait that can be kind of interesting to look at. Wherever we fall on the scale of agreeableness, it, it we tend to show it in fairly obvious ways. Highly agreeable people, they want everybody to get along. They take the feelings of other people into consideration and they try to avoid confrontation. Now being high in agreeableness, it definitely has the advantage of being likable and easy to get along with, but the extremes of that trait look like conformity, naivety, and weakness, basically. So the less, the less agreeable people will absolutely take advantage of those who are less interested in confrontation, especially if those victims show any kind of reluctance to bring harm to somebody else. So if you're naturally a very highly agreeable person, then that's great. You know, like I said, it is useful to have the ability to go along with other people. And it's a skill that a lot of people do seem to lack, unfortunately. But I do want to point out that getting along with people at all costs is not beneficial to you whatsoever. It's really not. Highly agreeable people, they need to learn how to set boundaries, um, even if it is an inconvenience to other people. And there's a, there's a really big difference between treating somebody well because you're a good person and treating them well because you're afraid of what will happen if you don't. So take some time to self-evaluate and really question whether or not you are too agreeable or if you, you're, you know, you're not agreeable enough. Also question why um, you are that way. You know, is it because you care about other people or is it because you're afraid of confrontation? And if you feel any kind of automatic mental resistance to this, um, that is cognitive dissonance at play, and it means that you are overlooking something that definitely needs work. Um, the same goes with any of these. If you feel like uncomfortable thinking about them, and they don't make sense, and you're kind of pushing it away without giving it much thought, that's probably the one you need to work on the most. Just, 
just saying. Um, and then on the other side of the coin with this is aggression. The, the, the low end of agreeableness is aggression. People that are low in agreeableness, they're, they're confrontational, they're rude, they're aggressive douchebags, basically. And, you know, they're the people that we run into so often. And these individuals care very little for others, and they're not afraid of showing it either. And while there is a downside, obviously, to being offensive and, off, and off-putting, there is also a certain advantage to aggression. It can definitely help you what you help you to get what you want in life. It does protect you from other aggressive people to some extent as well. However... For people that are terminally stuck in a state of confrontation, there's a lot of work to be done to make any real lasting change. Overly aggressive people, they do sometimes seem to, to win in the short run, but you know more often than not, any success that they do have, um, any, if, if it comes through that source of unpleasantness, it, it comes at a high price. It's never really a good idea to alienate yourself as you climb to the top, as you make your way through life. And that's exactly what does happen if you fail to consider how other people are going to react to you, you know? And just like everything else, there is a balance to be sought after um, somewhere in the middle. I mean, probably on the more agreeable side of the spectrum, but not too far is probably the sweet spot to be in. Um, but there is a time and place for everything. And it also depends on what environment you're in. You know, if you're in, an, I don't know, the military, for example, I mean, agreeableness is something that you need to have to some extent, but it's perfectly fine to be a completely aggressive douchebag. I mean, it's fine. It's normal. Um, so there is a time and a place for everything. You know, sometimes the correct strategy is to use a little bit of force, a little bit of fear and intimidation, which can be, you know, very valuable tools when they're used correctly. Just make sure they aren't your only tools, basically. So even the most passive laid back pushovers, they, they do have some aggressive tendencies buried somewhere deep down inside them. They may be very deep down inside, but they're there somewhere. And these repressed urges, um, they contribute to the shadow self that we've talked about a little bit. And they can be very useful when they're, they're utilized intelligently. Um, so learning to let out those aggressive instincts and feelings in controlled doses, keyword being controlled, that can give you an edge in life. Absolutely. Just like everything else, like I said, there's a balance between too much and too little. So being totally agreeable is not any better inherently than being totally aggressive. So the last one is neuroticism. It's a fun one. It's probably another trait that we would all like to decrease a little bit in ourselves. So with high levels of neuroticism, you're going to see a lot of people with a lot of emotional issues. So mood swings, general instability, stuff like that. There does seem to be some cor correlation between neuroticism and openness, which, you know, is being debated that that may be the long sought after link between creativity and mental health issues. Which I think it's, that's very interesting. Um, but we're not going to get into that here. But it does also, neuroticism does potentially have somatic symptoms, and those high in this trait do typically have a pretty rough time dealing with any kind of outside stress whatsoever. So essentially, the less orderly your mind is, the less you're, you're going to be capable of meeting the challenges of life. So somebody who struggles with neuroticism, they might feel detached from reality. They might live in a world just full of anxiety. So obviously, this is not a trait that we want to be very high in. To lower it, we need to take care of ourselves, basically. The more we train our, our minds to know what health and stability feel like, the better we're going to be able to recognize the warning signs of a neurotic episode. So mental health is something that's overlooked way too often in our society, if you ask me. But if you, if you want to live a balanced and fulfilled life, you really do need to learn how to take care of yourself. And it's not the situation you're in. It's the, it's the way that you respond to it. 
You know, people with low levels of neuroticism, they can deal with extremely stressful situations without it having too severe of an effect on them. And then on the other hand, somebody who's high in this trait might struggle with even simple everyday tasks because, you know, they are, they're already coming into the fight with elevated levels of anxiety, instability, and whatnot. So if this is something that you know that you struggle with, then I really encourage you to begin taking your health, your mental health, seriously. Um, because you're probably not, if, if this is a trait that you're dealing with in, in a negative fashion. And, it, you know, how you take care of yourself, that's going to look different for different people. And, um, I mean, it, it is going to be different for everybody, so I'm not saying this is a one-size-fits-all solution, but it doesn't hurt to get started by, you know, eating healthy, exercising, getting good sleep, um, which there's a, there's a lot that goes into sleep. Most people are chronically, you know, exhausted just because they don't sleep correctly. They're dehydrated. Um, and then, of course, you know, even things like spending time with other people, or excuse me, spending less, spending more time with people that, that kind of build you up and make you feel good about yourself, less time with people who drain your energy, you know, the, the more time that you spend reading useful books, engaging in meaningful relationships, um, getting good at things that you enjoy doing, keeping a clean environment, getting out in nature, learning practical ways to cope with stress, and of course, listening to my podcast. Just, you know, just anything that you can do to kind of make yourself a little bit healthier, a little bit better equipped to deal with life, you know, that might not be enough for everybody. But starting off on the right track does not have to be rocket science. So just to wrap everything up, the acronym to remember the big five personality traits is openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and eroticism. That spells out ocean. So sometimes people add intelligence into the mix, like I said. I do agree with it, but we didn't have time to talk about that today. The better that you understand these categories, the better equipped you'll be to make an honest assessment of yourself and of others. It's, it's a very useful, very stable tool that can be used for personal insight and as a way of understanding those around you even better. And I really, I really encourage you to apply as much of it as you can. Begin asking yourself uh, where you and the people that you know fall on these traits, on these timelines, whatever. Ask yourself where your strengths are so you can lean into those. And also ask, ask yourself where your weaknesses are so you can get to work on improving yourself. You know, And then, of course, ask where others fall into these categories as well so that will allow you to very accurately predict their behavior and their responses in the future. So good luck, guys.